Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Michael Stamm was raised in Evanston, Illinois. He received his BA from Wesleyan University and an MA in English Literature from Columbia University before earning an MFA from the New York University. He attended the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture in 2016. Michael was awarded the John Imber Painting Fellowship at the Vermont Studio Center. His first solo exhibition, Just Like This Please, was presented at Terry Goldberg Gallery. His work was also included in several group shows, including shows at Underdonk in Brooklyn, Ashes to Ashes in Los Angeles, and Gallery Tobias Naring in Leipzig. Residencies include the Mountain School of Arts in Los Angeles and Yaddo. Michael's most recent solo exhibition, Meditation Inc., was presented at DC Moore Gallery in January 2018. I met up with Michael in his Brooklyn studio to talk about literature, film, music, and much more. Here's our conversation. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited to come talk to you. And there's a few of these where I feel like I'm maybe fresh after a show or seeing the work. I'm, I'm really excited. And this is definitely one of them because that show was like a knockout show. And uh, <laughs> so I just started off with, with that, that I was just really into your show that was just up at DC Moore. Oh, thank you. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I, I was, it was cool. It was a cool experience. Yeah, so you're you're just kind of getting over that yeah. post-show craziness. Yeah, yeah, and it was like a the show came about over like a really long period of time, which had a lot of like zigs and zags or twists and turns. So like its realization felt like extra crazy to me. Yeah. Um, How long did you work on it? Well, I started it when I was at Skowhegan in 2016. I started drawings for it, and then I was at some residencies. Uh, and then I like took a few breaks from it, from the work, and then started working really in earnest in like uh, March, in spring of 2017. So like I think it's like a year's worth of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know I really, I mean the second you know starting like August I really just spent, you know, a majority of my time working on it and not socializing. So it was like it was kind of crazy to return to the world, but exciting like. It's been really fun for me to see my friends again. Yeah, <laughs> I remember yeah. that I have friends and I like having friends. <laughs> so when you're getting ready for, or when you're make, specifically making a show, you you kind of go in the total shutdown mode and just lock yourself in here? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but I like it. I like that part of doing painting, or painting. Like, I like the monastic aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not normally the most, like, extroverted social person, so... For me, it like fits my personality well, which is like having complete autonomy over my space and my time. Yeah, and uh, so it's cool. Yeah. Like it's it's like actually the happiest I've ever been. Like I was super stressed out at the end uh, before the show was up, like the last month, the last two months. But I was the happiest I'd ever been. It was like thrilling, and uh, and I felt like very happy, even if I was exhausted. And now I'm like freer, but also like more um, out to sea. So I'm like trying to figure out how to like get a good balance between being. Um, happily exhausted and like melancholically um, uh, unmoored. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, if you, 
if being in here and spending all that time making that show feels good and it's like a nice experience to sort of shut out the world in a way and just get lost in your, you know, a group of work that you're making, whenever you, I'm sure it's, it's always stressful to have an opening or to open a show because it's, it, whether you like it or not, there's a lot of social, you know, you're out there talking, it gets so busy and you're out of the studio. Do you enjoy though the sort of response or like all the input that you're getting from the work? Yeah. I mean, there's been pretty favorable review or not just reviews, but just, you know, personal people's, um, you know, reaction to your show. A lot of people really loved it. Seemed like a generally a very positive uh, response to your show. So does that feel good? Oh yeah. It felt great. I mean, here's the thing. It felt amazing and it was really exciting, but I also at the same time recognized, I think, you know, I'm 34, so I'm not like, you know, I'm, uh, not totally young and idiotic, or I don't know, I'm not totally young, I'm still idiotic, but um, uh, I felt like it came at, a, like, any this kind of uh, favorable response came at the right time where I was, like, pretty level-headed about it, where I was, like, really appreciative and happy, but also realized that, like, it was a, would be a fleeting kind of, like, whatever the response would be would be fleeting, and that, like, the return to the work would maybe, like, that it was about returning to the work, and, like, and I was happy because I feel like I learned a lot and I improved a lot and I feel like I processed graduate school effectively and that I overcame like a lot of like conceptual problems in the studio to arrive at the point that I was arrived at. So I felt like good about having made the work and everyone's response mirrored my feelings, which weren't necessarily that the work was good or bad or whatever, but that um, I had achieved, I had been successful in like solving a bunch of problems that I'd set up for myself that had... I had struggled with, so I like felt like um, victorious mm-hmm. in that. So I was happy. Yeah, I was very, you know, and also like, you know, well, there are two things. First is that a lot of my most of my friends aren't in art. Most of my friends, uh, you know, they appreciate art, but they're not they're not painters. Um, and I think like a lot of them hadn't been really familiar with my work in the past, and I think they saw that I like take this very seriously and. Uh, you know, have something to say. And that felt really um, amazing to have my friends witness what I cared about and what I've cared about for so long. And it was also, you know, great to, you know, really one of my favorite things about painting in New York is that you, that you as a person, as well as your paintings, enter into a community and that you can meet new people and make new friends via your work and have something to talk about and some and you know something to consider alongside someone which is fun so i'm really happy that's mostly what i'm happy about is that i like i have new friends now yeah you know new people to talk to and new people to like um encounter the insane endless stream of problems (laughs) that painting brings to you in a million individual ways (laughs) yeah and it's it's such a specific weird set of problems (laughs) yeah you know it's really fun in and of itself, I feel like. So did you always, um, were you always inclined towards drawing or making art? Was it something you did when you were young? Yeah. I mean, I always did art. Um, I kind of arrived at painting. It wasn't the first thing that I was interested in. When I was younger, I was really interested in, like, ceramics and jewelry Mm -hmm. making. And I didn't start painting, like, I didn't start becoming interested in painting until I was, like, 14 or 15. Um... And uh, this is sort of funny. It's like uh, I was, went to like this little art camp, and I remember, like, I was in the ceramics program, 
uh, the ceramics class, and there was a there was like my friend was this boy who I like had a platonic crush on. I, what I now understand was a crush, right. but like at that point it was just like a um, uh, friendship with admiration. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like a, he was a painter. I remember he painted these paintings that were like show at this like farmhouse like in di- during different times of the day. And I remember being like, oh my god, you can do that. Like I remember being like simultaneously like sort of enchanted by him, but also like being enchanted by like the. I remember very specifically like the color shift of those paintings that he painted and me being like, I want to do that. And then so I switched to, to painting and then I like kept on doing painting. Although now I'm getting really, I'm like, I'm still very interested in like, um, like ceramics and textiles and jewelry and much more so than I am in like the history of, of modern painting. Mm-hmm. You know, not that I don't, dis- not that I dislike that, but it's a, it's not something that's fascinated me like, like modern like mid-century painting. Yeah. How did you get into ceramics when you were growing up? uh, I don't know. Because it's ceramics, well, I guess in school, if you're playing around with clay, but it's a specific thing, you know? It's not like drawing where every kid just gets some crayons and starts Um, drawing. I really like making, so I like, this is so embarrassing, I like really like like friendship bracelets and like Mm -hmm. beads and um wait we all did though yeah well right? <laughs> i mean yeah of course i well that's part one yeah. i let, and then like i got really into like millie fiore beads like making things out of polymer clay like mm-hmm. the things that like they would sell at, like a head shop which would be like you know like a hemp with like an, a bead in the center with like yeah. a flower i like i really not into i got really into like those beads and then uh and then i got into ceramics from that like i was like oh like i just want to do more with clay um and uh and I was really interested in, yeah, so that sort of, that was like, I was just interested in craft, yeah. you know, and I was really interested in like quilting and like, I remember, I remember my sister like had an American Girl doll and I remember me and my mother would like make, um, uh, would make like outfits for it. And I not, like, I was really interested in like learning how to like sew and learning how to like make objects, yeah. you know, less so. Th- and I drew of course as well, but right. um, I was always interested in like, uh, uh, I'm very object oriented. Um, so it was always, that's all, anyway, so that's how that started. And that comes through in the paintings, not to jump too yeah, far yeah, of course. in time, but I mean, the paintings, especially this last show, so there's a lot of objects in there being painted in a really interesting way. But so where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Evanston, Illinois, which is the first, the, the first, uh, suburb north of Chicago. It's like, uh, it's like where Northwestern University is. Yeah. It's a college town, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I grew up there. So how was that? <laughs> Did you enjoy it? I was this like suburban or just it was suburban. I mean, it's a it's like a really progressive town, and it was less it was more suburban growing up when I was there. It was more suburban, and as I was like right at the end of high school, it started to you know have a lot of growth, and now it's like very very. Uh, I mean, like now it's a really super developed town, you know, with like anything that you could want there. You know, yeah. a lot of people live, the, it's, you know, I don't even know the equivalent would be in any, in New York or in the area, but it's a very, like, you know, it's a very well-stocked suburb um, in all capacities. Um, I, I don't know, I liked it there okay. I was, like, very, like, melancholic child, so I don't think, I don't think anywhere I would have been I would have appreciated for what it was. So I was, like, I was, you know, like, that's sort of a, like a moot question I liked it there it was cool I mean I had opportunities to make art and go to art institute and I think if I had been grown up in a more rural place where I hadn't had like cultural things so nearby I probably would have been 
um, less happy, so I should be grateful. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool. Were your parents involved in the university? No. Um, my mother is a social worker, and my father just worked at like an automotive business uh-huh. in like HR. Gotcha. Um, but you were able to sort of get into Chicago and see the museums occasionally? Yeah. I took, we went there occasionally. Uh, I took a few classes. I took a pastel class there growing up. Um, I took a lot of classes there during the summer when I was at home uh, between years of college. So I really started to take advantage of it after I, I came to art really late, I think. I really, I think I came to like the pedagogy of art and like the museum, the world of museums really late. Like I was never super interested in museums and still I'm kind of not. Um, And I, and I came like, I think I came to sort of modern art really late. Mm-hmm. And I was much more interested, even growing up, I was much more interested in, like, craft, you know? Like, yeah. I remember being much more interested growing up in, like, origami. Like, even, like, or, like, uh, or, like, um, like, uh, I don't know, like, Japanese, like, uh, like, Japanese ink drawing, like, sumi drawing, mm-hmm. you know? It was yeah. more, like, I was more interested in, like, the techniques than I was, like, the history. Like, making things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I went to, um, when I got back after my freshman year of college, I went to, they had a John Curran show at the MCA, which, like, I feel, which is kind of, I know that he's, like, not the most beloved painter, but it had a really big influence on me in that, like, it was, like, I saw for the first time, like, that painting could have humor and have a sense of irony and a sense of kind of like jokiness that wasn't stupid but that it was conceptual and, and craft at the same yeah, time craft. Right? yeah 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 um so i felt very connected to that show i really liked that show a lot um did that have the portrait of the woman with the fish on her head yeah well that's the thing as i remember being there's like a painting <laughs> and i'm like now when i look at it i'm like oh this painting is like kind of misogynist but i didn't quite get that when i was 19 was there was a painting of this woman where, where like there was like a candlestick on her and like a lobster on her and mm-hmm. I just thought it was so funny that like the still life was on top of this person and I was like oh this is like what a tri- this is like a like a conceptual flip flop this is like the kind of art I want to make mm-hmm. um, and it kind of it just I felt like really uh, an affinity for that sense of humor and like kind of a maybe like a slightly mean sense of humor um, which I'm hopefully trying to be nicer than him. I th- but uh, I liked that show a lot. That was a big moment for me. Yeah. So that was kind of like a landmark. You know, we all see those shows early on, I feel like, that leave, no matter how you feel about it down the line, it just makes a big impression at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I had one of those with, um, I grew up in Pittsburgh at the Carnegie Museum with Van Gogh, and it just, you know, I don't know that I, well, I still look at Van Gogh. I don't know that it has a huge impact on my work, but it had a huge impact on me thinking about artwork and what it could be you know what I mean and I'm sure that current show probably had that same effect well, what like, did what did you feel in the moment well <laughs> well a that just watching like seeing all those paintings and like he does different iterations of a painting that someone is that committed in the physical nature of the paint it just feels really like this this person's really indebted to making these things like he lived it yeah and that early on in my you know, in my life, I, it just, it kind of said to me, you could do that. Like, this is something you could do with your life or devote all your time to, which seemed kind of radical because in school, art was just something you did in one period during the day. And it was just kind of fun. Yeah. And no one liked it. 
Yeah, really. no one like took it seriously. Three, yeah, no one took it seriously. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of see someone's like psychological profile in a, in like a exhaustive, excuse me, mm-hmm. <coughs> in a in like a big exhibition like that. You can like kind of have. Uh, yeah, I understand that. You can like kind of see a person's entire life. Yeah, and that's cool, and, and that grow- makes it more relatable. Yeah, definitely. And growing up like blue collar, there was something kind of romantically elevated about it. You know, just the museum seemed like this place. I don't know how to describe it. It just had this air about it that was really interesting. Not fancy, but just, you know, it was like a, a different way to think about life or something. It just, it didn't feel like anything else that I went to when I was younger. You know, I used to go to like the Pink Floyd laser shows and ah. the science museum and all that. <laughs> but I could relate that to things a little more directly, I guess. But the, you know, the, the Carnegie Museum was more, I don't know, it just had a feel about it that I really liked. That's cool. Yeah, and I think it just triggered something in my mind that said, like, oh, it's okay, or, like, this is something that's a possibility, even though it took me a lot longer to, you know, quote, become an artist, you know what I mean? But it was something that I just, I could feel that was okay or something. Yeah. Like, you can do this. Yeah, you can do this. Or you can just be a person. Like, your personhood is, like, enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it is that. I don't know. I understand. So uh-huh. you're, you're doing all these kind of... You're really interested in making and these creative things that, as you're growing up. But what happens when you're graduating high school and you're thinking about going to school? Well, I like went to a pretty academically rigorous school. And I grew up, a lot of people in my family are academics. And I think there was, I was never discouraged from going to art school, like explicitly. But it was never really a thing I was encouraged to do. I think I was always expected that I would go to like a regular liberal arts school. Mm-hmm. Or, um, so... I just went to Wesleyan, which is, you know, uh, which was a good fit for me, I think, psychologically. It, it doesn't have the greatest art program. Um, I don't know much about it. Is it, it's a smaller school? It's a small school. It's like a, it's like a, it's a school in Connecticut that um, is like, I feel like a lot of kids there like had high achieving older siblings that went to like Brown or Harvard or Yale Mm-hmm. And then the kids, like their bad younger siblings, would go to Wesleyan. <laughs> like it's kind of was like it was like for kids who were like kind of smart but also bad, or maybe that's just how I saw myself. I know I felt that way. I felt like it was a lot. It's like where you go if you're rejected from Brown because you're like smoking too much pot in high school, which right. I think is like pretty much who I am. <laughs> <laughs> smart but a little little trouble. Oh, a lot of trouble. Sometimes. And uh, but it was is an expensive. Is it kind of like a. I mean, it is now. Like a private... Yeah, it's a private liberal arts school. I mean, it's crazy now. Like, I look at it. When I, you know, when I went there, it wasn't... uh, Now, you know, it's a fancy school. But when I went there, I mean, you know, I graduated from there almost 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, No, that's not true. 15 years... 14 years ago. Or how many years ago. But, um, yeah, it's like a... It's like a liberal arts school. You know, lots of kids were from New York. Mm -hmm. So we... I go... That's sort of like when I got into art. It's like, you know, a lot of... A lot of, like, the kids who were there had, like, artist parents Mm -hmm. or, you know... Or, like, had been going to art classes that, you know, since they were... Like, I remember, like, uh, everyone was very cultured when I got there. And I was, like, felt very provincial. Mm -hmm. Which was sort of funny. Like, uh, in a way that freaked me out. But then I realized was easily acquired if you just mimicked people who seemed like more urbane than you you know yeah like more like knowing anyway um, but it was a cool I mean I was a double major between English and art the art program there's very small the painting teacher there um, 
like she's like a photorealist landscape painter. So we spent a lot of time copying photos, which is like a really weird skill set to learn. And I actually think it's not the greatest way to approach learning to paint. I think mm-hmm. it's like so much more nonlinear and you need to, uh, you need to, as you grow, you need to just like have a thousand different artists throw paradigms at you and then you find what sticks and what doesn't and whereas we just had one that you kind of like either fit into or didn't and I didn't really so I like butted heads with her in a long in, in the, at the beginning of a or at the midpoint of a long pattern of butting heads with someone who is in charge of me <laughs> uh, I butted heads with her although we did have a very nice exchange after the show at DC more which I thought was lovely um, and uh, well that's nice that it came full circle yeah yeah also like you know um, I think that there's something to be said for being a bit um, bullheaded or st- like a bit like strong-willed when you're learning how to make art, you know? Yeah, pushing back a little can be yeah. constructive if it's yeah. done right. I think you just need to do it with some, with some. I think the pushing back wasn't the problem. I think it was like the affect they accompanied the pushing back that was the problem. <laughs> so I would take that away, but I wouldn't like have followed the rules more. I just would have done it with like in a more chill way. Right. And But I did English as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, that I mean, I think... So I, then I actually, I sort of, so at that point, the art supply store was in New Haven. And so I drive to New Haven a lot, or it was West, West Hartford or New Haven. So you kind of go all, like to one of those and they're both like about 45 minutes away. And I'd go to New Haven. So I go to New Haven and I would like go to this magazine store and I'd buy new American paintings mm-hmm. and go to the art supply store. And I'd be like, oh, this is what art painting is. And then I remember my senior year, I went to go see, uh, the Yale MFA Open Studios. And I was like, oh, this, I'm like, totally am not ready for graduate school. Because I'd want to go to graduate school right off, mm-hmm. right? And right. I was like, oh, I'm not ready for this. Like, I kind of realized the limitations of, of like a small liberal arts school education. And some people like figure it out real quickly and I didn't. Um, so then I actually left, I graduated and I moved back home to Chicago and I transferred into the Arts Institute of Chicago for about a year and just to take some extra painting classes, which was an amazing Amazing. Is that the postdoc thing? No, I didn't really do postdoc. I didn't really want to be. I just wanted to take whatever I wanted, mm-hmm. and I didn't really want to. I also wasn't sure if I wanted to apply to graduate school. And I feel like during postdoc, you take postdoc and then you apply to graduate school, like right. while you're in there. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to be pushed that quickly through some like weird pipeline. Um, although I know many people who did it, who you know are great, um, including Yevgenia, who mm-hmm. you know is yeah. an, a brilliant painter. Um, uh, and uh, no, I just took classes, and then uh, and then I applied to graduate school. I just wasn't ready. It took me a really long time to figure out, like, it's taken me a really long time to figure out, like, what kind of art to make. I think I had a lot of really, like, false notions about, like, what art was, and I think a lot of them were informed by, like, what you learn in liberal arts school, which is that you always have to have a thesis and an argument and, like, a cohesive, like, way of approaching meaning. And, like, art is so not that. It's so, like, much more nonlinear. It's much more... Uh, like it's I think a lot of luck and like a lot of like attitude and sort of like just um, and I think unlearning all of that took me a really long time I think it took me like 10 years do you think it was good though to kind of like let's take the thesis as an example to come up with a group of work that you have a specific idea for do you think it's good to go through that process and then kind of unlearn it or think okay I don't need to do that but it was good to try to try it out so I know that I don't need to hone in on everything and it to be so defined 
Yeah. I think it just spun you out of control. Oh, it made me crazy. Well, I like, (laughs) I like just was such a mess. I mean, listen, I'm like trying to, I'm like a little stressed because I'm like trying to like be authentic about my past. I like had a very like rocky 20s where Mm -hmm. I like, I like basically flunked my senior thesis in college and then I like, like, kind of, uh, because I like didn't know how to hang it and like it was all this, this was a giant mess. And I think that like I felt like, I kind of like felt like pretty rejected by the apparatuses that existed or the like, or, you know, like, or the structures. And so I think, like, the main... It was difficult, but I think, like, a lot of the power... A lot of, like, my art has come from, like, trying to figure out how to reconstitute myself after, um, like, a failure. I, like... I'm trying to... I was talking to my therapist this morning, and I was like... I was like, why do I only learn through crisis? (laughs) That's how I kind of feel like I learned through crisis. I learned through, like, crisis. I learned very dialectically. I, like... I like crash and burn and then I get up and then I like figure out, I dust myself off and then I like figure out how to do it better. So it takes me a long time, I think. But isn't that really though how everyone learns in a way? I mean, usually, maybe not crisis, but through failure. Yeah. Like trying things, falling on your face and you're like, okay, I know how to not fall on my face this time. You know what I mean? Yeah. That process. Oh, definitely. While not fun, that's kind of how you learn. I mean, I'm talking, I, I tell my kid that all the time. Like, he wants everything to go smoothly and to learn everything the first time around and to not mess up when he's learning a song or stuff like that. I'm like, no, no, if you fail, like, when you mess up, that's how you learn, you know? Even though it's not fun, that's kind of the process of getting stronger or, like, learning what you're doing, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's the other thing is that, like, I wish that I had given, given more opportunities to, like... I remember my painting teacher in college said something that to me is so like um, perverse in retrospect. I was like, I remember I like had this idea. I liked keeping empty paint tubes because I liked the memory of how much paint I used. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I like the idea of like at the end of my life knowing how many paint tubes I used. It was weird. I don't know. I'm a hoarder. Or like, <laughs> and she was like, well, you could just figure it out by like weighing all of your paintings and subtracting um, the weight of the canvas. And that's how many paint tubes you've used. And I was like, and at that point, I remember being like, oh, I don't feel like... And I, I was just like, oh, that... Like, your equation um, entails doing every painting perfectly and never throwing anything away or scraping anything off. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, and I was like, that is... I feel like, I've, you know, you have to waste a lot of paint. Wouldn't receipts have been an easier way? <laughs> well, yeah. Not for you, but I'm saying... I thought you were going to say that she would say, just keep your receipts and you know how many tubes you bought. Well, I don't know. She, we, she was a weird person. She's cool. I want to, like, officially on the record say that, I, like... It was a weird relationship, but I, I, like, have a great appreciation for her unique sense of, like, sadism. <laughs> and I also think the one thing I learned from that point was, like, really... I think that because she shows a forum gallery, on, mm-hmm. on, you know, so, yeah. which is, like, very high-end, well-finished, realist paintings. And um, I think something that I've taken... The, the thing that I think most positively... The thing that I took that's most positive and useful is I think I developed... I shared fixation on making paintings that are well made, mm-hmm. and I think that's very interesting, important to me, is to make things that are well made, and and um, are thoughtfully made, and I think that's a virtue for painting. Like I'm not super interested in bad painting, right. um, as much as I understand like the critical potential of bad painting to undermine like the hegemony of skill. Um, I don't really think I'm not I'm skeptical of that in. Uh, and I like things that are well made. I like things that have respect for beauty and for like intention. And so I think I took took that from her. And I think and, it's and it make, well. it makes sense too because the craft of things, which is something you've always been drawn to, right? Yeah. Like the way things are made. So it makes sense that you 
you know, I guess that's the that could be a, a parallel that you could draw between her practice and the way she feels about making images and, you know, the way you're doing them now. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that, like, I th- so I'm, I am grateful. And I feel like um, I also learned, like, if you ever have trouble, if you ever can't figure anything out, just, like, change the temperature of the color and then, like, just do a, a temperature shift and then something good will happen. Yeah. That's the show. She's always like, temperature shift, temperature shift. And I was like, ah. But now I'm like, oh, now that's just like my go-to. That's like my, um, my like main, um, uh, what's like the thing that the magician does the, that like to divert people, the diversion, I guess. I don't oh, know what it's yeah. called. Something else. Yeah, whatever. yeah. Like it's my main like diverting tactic. When I don't know what to do, I'll be like, oh, I'll just change the temperature. Right, right. <laughs> God, it's so much like parents whenever they have little things that they say to you that drive you crazy, but they work. Yeah. And later in life, you find yourself doing those things that, that kind of drove you nuts. But like, oh, they've kind of instilled that in me. Yeah, yeah. Somehow. But I guess it works for a reason, right? Yeah, I mean. Temperature well, shifts. Also, like most truisms are true. Yeah. Like, if they're not, you know, that's what I'm finding. I'm finding that the dumbest things are usually the most true things, which is, like, you have to fail. You have to fail a lot or, like, right. well, you know, or, like, no one can teach you to paint because you have to figure it out for yourself. It's, like, very, you kind of, that's sort of, like, I mean, those are all true. And, yeah. You know, as a, in my limited capacity as, like, a visiting critic or a, someone, any pedagogical power, I found myself saying things that are so, like, trite and platitudinal that, like, I'm cringing. But uh, I believe them. Right. And I guess it's your job as the student to like, just like, hear it so many times and kind of like deal and like, you know, roll your eyes at it until you figure out that it's true, and then you look back and you're like, oh, they were right all along. Yeah, <laughs> it's the kind of thing that drives you crazy, but you're like, yeah, that kind of yeah. is true. It's cool. It's all good. Um, it's, it was a weird journey um, that I've been thinking a lot about recently, but I'm you know I'm happy where it led me. I took a, I mean, the main thing is I took a brief pause. Uh, I wanted, you know, I, I, I had always had an increased, uh, you know, parallel interest in literature. And I um, went to, uh, I came moved to New York and went to graduate school for literature. Um, I got my master's and I was moving on to get my PhD. And then... Uh, that was NYU, right? And that was at Columbia. Oh, Columbia. Okay. So I was studying. And that was actually probably the, the a most amazing period of my life. Like, I was with, I was like totally unprepared. Um, and I was with all these kids who were like really knew everything and I just was like thrown into this crucible and it was so fun to be so challenged and to like really uh so I I think and I took these two classes there I took a class like your my colloquium there was an affect bait was like uh, this woman who teaches this woman um Morris Spiegel uh who who's the head of the narrative medicine program there so she like has has have uh she like teaches classes in addition to teaching the English program, she teaches a lot of classes to like doctors where they read books so they can be like more human. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, she taught a class that was like psychoanalysis and affect. And then I took also a class, a medieval uh, embodiment theology, a th- medieval theology class that was focused on embodiment with um, a Derridian scholar named Patricia Daly. And those two classes like were so awesome. And I read two essays there that really changed the way I think about creating meaning. And really I brought back to art um, and return to the... It was an Eve Cedric essay um, about digital versus analog that's kind of like a critique of postmodernism. And that was a really important essay. And then there was an essay that uh, Patricia Daly had translated of a leotard essay that was about... It was called Ananisis du Visible or something. It was like it was like basically like the forgetting of the scene or like, I don't know. It was... I don't know. It was like a sight unseen is I think what it was called in English. I could never... I haven't been able to find it. Um... Because I want to like print it out and include it 
and like share it with people. But um, it, those were both really influential. So then I did that, and I like, but then I like had to study for like these applications. I'd take the um, the GREs for literature. So I like sat down that summer to like take. Uh, uh, I like was reading like Shakespeare, and I was like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and I went to Vermont Studio Center to do residency, and I never looked back. But I'm very grateful for that time. And I think my interest in literature and in archetypes, or literature and narrative and archetypes and just literary structure is really, cons- you know, I think that's a big part of my painting. Yeah. I would imagine that just those couple classes sound so intriguing that you've kind of it planted the seed for you being able to infuse your work or your studio practice with ideas that are coming out of literature in that process, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really interested. I think that most of my work comes from, like, I think my work comes from a lot of personal experience, but I'm always looking for when I read. I read a lot. And what I'm looking for when I read are, like, narrative elements that have, like, a kind of formal logic that feels resonant with a personal emotion I've had. So, like, I remember there's, like, there's one painting. There's I was reading this book, Housekeeping, by Marilyn Robinson a long time ago, and she talked about, sorry, she talked about like this, this dream of like a home. So those her books are like vaguely they're like Christian. They're like you know I mean they have like a strong Christian bent. Um, I don't know what sect or denomination, but um, they're definitely very Christiany, which is cool. Like whatever. Um, but there's a lot about like um, uh, like some sort of like uh, whatever. Anyway, I'm <laughs> sorry. I like do a lot of digressions. It's okay. Um, so she talked a lot about like this house, like the dream of a house where everything you had lost, like was returned with like a house that you would return to where everything that you had lost was, was returned and in place again. And I was like, Oh, that's so like, I'm so obsessed with this house. Cause like how many, I don't know if anyone else, if you feel this way, but I feel like very melancholic for the past and like for things that I've lost and for feelings that like used to have integrity, like used to have shape and that are gone. And I feel like painting for me is like, trying to build that house of like of lost or feeling feelings that maybe never existed but that I still feel a sense of loss for and like I want to reconstruct them mm-hmm. so that like I think about that quote a lot so it's like kind of like that for reading is like it's not like and then finding like a visual analog for the logic or like the emotional kind of structure that that sentence brings out there's a, you know I read a lot of poetry as well right was um, some of the was the work in your show tapping into that um Kind of. I was a bit more like uh, liberal with my source material. Mm-hmm. Um, I took uh, some of, some of the text was found. Some of the text was from song lyrics. Some of the text was from poetry. Some of the text was just like made up. I become less orthodox about like it having to be like from a specific source. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, but it, it it should have like a formal structure. Like in one of the paintings in the show that said. This was sort of a, I struggled with this painting a lot, even though I liked it in the end. It, there was a painting that said, you can never please anyone in this world. And that was like a shorthand way of like, I really like, you know, the Shags. Mm-hmm. I was re- I'm really into that song, like uh, Philosophy of the World, where it's like the short people want what the tall people have, the tall people want what the short people have. In addition to the fact that like uh, their band is, it's like horrible, right? <laughs> um, it's like very charmingly bad. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. listen to it, but I just like it as like an artifact. Right. Um, and I liked like the logic of that. Like I liked that it was like almost like a geometry proof. It was like if or logic proof was like if a like uh, like a is, 
is different from B and D, B is different from A. So there's like never any sort of like um, parity or equality between properties. Mm -hmm. And then, but like, I like that they, but they infused it with like a sense of like jealousy and of of like, I don't know. So that's sort of what I was borrowing from for that. Yeah. Like the grass is always greener. Yeah. But like the grass is, but what like, what if you could like prove, what if you could like kind of like, um, like kind of lay that out visually in a way that uh, connected to like a modernist form or like the grid, right? Like what if the grid, like what if the grid was like the dividing apparatus between the two like green swaths of grass that like, that like um, allegorically represented envy? That's sort of like what I'm thinking about. Right. <laughs> that's know, really that... that's really interesting. And you know, I did. I don't think I would have gotten to that place specifically in seeing the show, or I didn't. But I definitely was thinking about this relationship of formal elements in the painting, and then personal kind of states of being, maybe like yeah, mental states of building or feelings that were happening in the paintings. And the reason that really excited me because I feel like that's not. I don't commonly see that in painting. And your paintings in general, when I first saw them, struck me as being just different. Like, this is not, like, what I normally see, both in the feeling of them and the way that you're making in them, and then the the kind of, like, imagery that you're combining in the way that you're doing it. It feels really fresh and different than other things. And it's really interesting to hear kind of, like, the motivational reference points for them, because I feel like that's also not a common jump off point for visually figuring out the structure of a painting. Um, yeah, I, that's a nice thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. I mean, I don't, um, I, I think something that I try a lot and I don't mean to be like so serious during this, during this interview. No, you've laughed. You've laughed. No, but I also have like, (laughs) I also have like fun. Like, you know, I'm not just like, uh, I'm not just like a bunch of like um, I'm not like Lars von Trier like <laughs> I have all my tenets you know right, right. Um, but I mean it is it, I do believe though that like uh, for example for me I think something that's really important and that I'm struggling with right now as I try to develop as an artist and move past this body of work and grow is like something that's always really important to me is that everything that I paint should refer to something real and something, and if it, if not a real feeling, then a real object. Like I really don't want there to be like a surreal. I, if I want, if there's a surreal element, it should be produced by real objects. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't want a melting clock. Like um, I don't want. I like I want things to be produced by the real. And I feel like to me at this point, in like the development of like allegory and of meaning and of poetics mm-hmm. in whatever 21st century like western uh culture like i think we have we're so like accustomed to like uh surrealism and like weirdness as a like critical as like a critical gesture in painting so for me i like i like i'm skeptical when work is like weird because I think that, like, in the past, I, I understand its function. Like, for me, like, I look at, like, someone like Joseph Boys or something, or, like, my, even, like, Matthew Barney, or whatever, it doesn't matter, um, or Dali. Like, the weirdness of that, like, has novelty and had, a, like, a radical um, potential because it was, like, um, antithetical to uh, sort of understandings of what realist, like, me, how meaning came via, like, realist... Like, when I talk about realism, I talk about, like, a realist painting, but also, like, realism, like, the realist novel, or just, like, 
uh, realist literary form or whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and now I'm like, oh, like I just feel like realism, I f- I'm really interested in like uh, the real. Even if the paintings are like not, even the, the paintings themselves are not like real and they're flat and they have no dimension, but like there's nothing in them that couldn't exist. You know, like there's no like, there's no like um, floating dots. Like, you know, if you go to see Laura Owens show, mm-hmm. for example, which, you know, I love Laura Owens, um, but like, you know, she'll have like giant brushstrokes that like don't refer to anything real other than like painting, you know, like yeah. the painted mark. And for me, there's like, I don't ever want there to be a painted mark that doesn't either refer to like a stitch in a fabric or like the, the, um, what the marling of like a sweater or like the shine or I don't know like the, just anything like I want it or like the strand of hair I want every st- like I want there to be like a really strong relationship between the painted mark and a thing yeah. and um, and I think that's been important to me and maybe that's what and like that kind of obsession I think people see and are like oh he's weird well I don't that's know. A, that's <laughs> the thing there is a, there is a strangeness or surrealism in the real yeah that's what I want to especially these days because everything is so quick to be you know, with digital media or with um, the different ways that you can mess with images, I feel like the the quote-unquote surreal is really quick to get to. Well, I mean, also, like, the surreal is here, like, in all dimensions of culture. Like, it's just a very surreal time to be alive. So I'm like, so uh, I don't, you know, I'm not surprised by anything at this point. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I was surprised by last, like what really surprised me in a good way. Um, I don't know. I really like Coco. I saw that movie recently. What is it? I, I saw that Pixar movie about Coco? the Day of the Dead. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. I went with all my friends like a few days ago and we saw that and like all of us were all like 34th to 38th and we all just cried. Well, they're made for adults. I mean, as much as they're, you know, yeah. a lot of those Pixar movies are kids movies. There's there's so many adult yeah. uh, things in it, you know. Um, no, it was, it was good. I don't know. I'm being facetious right now. I just want to talk about Coco because I liked it so much. <laughs> I'm, I, I've been talking about it straight for like four days. Um, anyway. Well, um, a, two, a couple of questions that I have about and thinking about that show specifically. For some reason, Salinger popped into my head watching or looking at the images in your show. Are you at all a Salinger fan? Uh, I've read Catcher in the Rye. I've read the first half of Franny and Zoe. Nine stories? I've read... read the nine, the ninth. I've read the banana fish story from Nine Stories, where he shoots himself in the head. Yeah, um, and I'm like, oh, that's a good story. It's very despairing. It's surreal, but very real. I feel yeah. like. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I haven't read very much Salinger, but I've read like a lot of. Um, what's his name? Who's kind of like a little adjacent to him? What's his name? He like, it's not Raymond Carver. It's uh, someone like uh, uh, Joe uh, Cheever. Uh, John Cheever is mm-hmm. a little bit like that. Where like they're kind of like like uh, mid-century American short stories that like are just very depressing yeah. they're like very depressing like um, and I don't know so but they're kind of polished or there's a craft to them yeah and well in Salinger's case these kids a lot of times are growing up in affluent or like you can almost see the Upper East Side apartment or you know kind of like the environment that this chaos this sort of mental chaos is happening in and I feel like in some of your images, there's a real craft to it and a real beauty. It's like almost this mixture of art deco and kind of, um, I don't know, there's like a polish to it, but at the same time, there's these words floating over that feel like voices of, of pushback or a dissent against this structure in a way. But it's all done in a kind of um, visually pleasing and cohesive way. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. I don't know if that's... No, no, that's, I think, a perfect description. I mean, I think it's like, it's what my life is like. I feel like it's like trying to be a citizen mm-hmm. of the world or of any place that I am and, like, having a lot of, like, conflicting feelings and insane sort of uh, antisocial, um, like urges Mm -hmm. not like nothing to worry about but like just like you know (laughs) nothing like too crazy but like uh uh and then like how to reconcile those things in the form of like a mannered behavioral mannered behavior like i feel like a lot of that's what humor is i think is really good humor is like a really good meeting point between like the expect societal expectations like and like antisocial or like weird or like perverse or otherwise obscene like uh, or libidinal urges. So yeah. I do think, I think that's a really good read of the work. Yeah. You know? It's like coping mechanisms, right? I mean, it's a crazy world. <laughs> and we all have to find some way to, you you come to terms with it. And, and different people have different ways. Like stand-up comedy is such a great example of people who might just not be able to deal. Yeah. But that is a very constructive and engaging and humorous for other humans. Yeah, I <laughs> really into stand-up. I like stand-up a lot. Me too. I um, listen to good it all the time. You know what I've been really into? So, like, I'm really into, like, YouTube videos of, like, stand-up comedians fighting with hecklers. Oh, yeah, those are great. Um, and, like... Um, Greg Giraldo was a great uh, oh, heckler battler. I know, I like that. I also like the idea of heckling is so terrifying to me. I'm really... I think that... Like, I've been watching a lot of those, um, and it's really curious to me. I'm really into that. I like, like... Um, I like... I don't know. I don't really have anything intelligent to say other than that I like it's, that. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how good they are. That comedians, maybe through practice, because it happens, but they're so able to, usually able to just cut it off. But can you imagine, like, if you were painting for your show and someone walked in your studio and just started saying, like, oh, this painting sucks, or, like, this is so boring, you know what I mean? Like, that people can go into their workplace and just start, like, you know, hurling things at them while they're trying to do their job is, is yeah. crazy. And they just handle it, you know. Yeah. Well, having a microphone probably helps. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can never be a stand-up comedian. It seems like a crazy profession. Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of admiration for them. And it's a really beautiful. I think it's a really interesting art, too. It's it is, It's a really yeah. interesting art form. It's a really, like, perverted um, art form that seems to come from, like, it's really weird. I mean, yeah, I like it's primal too. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. it's very primal. Um, uh, I really I watched Maria Bamford's stand up special on mm-hmm. Netflix, which I really really liked. And then I like listened to her tape before, and I was like, oh, this is an act. Uh, but I, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, and I still really liked it. Like when she and her husband had like the song about their couple's therapist. Uh huh. Have you seen? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I haven't. Oh, you should watch. Well. You should watch it. It's a really good. It's on Netflix. Okay. Um, it's great. Uh, I mean, it's like ironic that I would fix it on the couples therapist part. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> but uh, all of it's good. I like all of it. But I like the part where she. I just like anything that has a song. Yeah. I like things that have a song, um, attached to it. Like right. I, <laughs> That's why I like Coco because there's a song in it. Yeah. I'm um, very um, Easily taken in by a song, I suppose. <laughs> uh, are you a big music fan? Yes. I'm a big... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I go through really crazy phases of, like, listening obsessively to music. I kind of go through, like, four different phases, which is, like, I go through, like, an audiobook phase, mm-hmm. and then, like, a podcast phase, and then, like, a folk phase, and then, like, an electronic phase. 
That's a good blend. Um, and then, meanwhile, always listening to pop music. Uh, and it's just incessantly. Right. So that never goes away. That's one can't help. No. Listening one pop. shouldn't help. Right. But listen to pop music. Um, so, yeah, I do like music a lot. And I, um, and I feel like sometimes I'm, like, listening to music and I, like, I feel like... Um, I feel actually, like, a lot of affinity between a good pop song or, like, a good... Even if it's not, like, straight-up pop, even if it's, like, a pop-informed song... Uh, and like a good painting, I feel like they often have the same logic. Like they're self-contained. Like they have to have like a hook. Mm-hmm. Like they, ha- they usually like a good painting usually has like some sort of, um, I don't know, conceit that that like informs the structure of it, and it's usually complete. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm listening to like a lot of uh, I listen to Charlie XCX's new album, which I'm really obsessed with. Oh yeah, I, I really, really like heard her. the radio stuff. Uh, she's I like her because she um, I just like her. She like did an amazing. I mean, I like I listen to, like Carly. I listened to like a ton of Carly Rae Jepsen mm-hmm. while I was finishing the show, and there was like an Emily Nuss. I think it was Emily Nussbaum said that it was like the perfect music, which I totally agree with. And the only reason I'm quoting her is because I uh, I think it is perfect and it was you nice talking like that call me maybe stuff oh no 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 like her oh my god have you not li- uh, <laughs> no i haven't dug deep <laughs> oh my god you have to dig deep okay um i don't know maybe you don't but the, so like so she released this album motion and then she released b-sides and their songs it's just like they're just perfect pop music it's just like i don't know um is anything like more happy, soul happy than perfect pop music? No, it's uh, but it's also not even just happy. It's like formally perfect. Yeah, uh, it's perfect form. It's yeah, but like, that's part of delivering the happy. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It comes in that like perfectly, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like a smile in a song. <laughs> yeah, but it's like a smile that's inside of like a perfect circle. Yeah, and the circle like is a perfect sphere, and it like exists. It's like very elemental. I don't know. Um, the the real trick is like find trying to find good pop music that like doesn't you don't get bored of, um, or any music that's not that's like a slow burn. Yeah. Um, so, you know. That's true because sometimes the slow burn works, in the more unconventional, fractured format. You know. Yeah, like I was listening to. Um, I'm like trying to think of something that was a slow burn. I didn't quite like it first. I don't know. Well, did the electronic stuff you're listening to fall more into the? Slow burn category? No, I mean like I'm. I listen to like a lot of like compact stuff. Oh, okay. You know, but like that kind of like when you like are in the studio for a long time and you're like listening to that, you like makes you kind of like depersonalize in a weird way. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I have to like turn that off and like listen to words. But I like like the field a lot, and I like like Pantha, Du Prince, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, what else? You know, um, I like Ellen Alien. I'm like haven't. I'm not quite up to speed. I've kind of like that's been the thing that has gone by the wayside a little bit I need to catch up but I mean Spotify's great I know you talk about Spotify a lot on your podcast and I'm always like every time you say it I'm like I know when I'm listening to other podcasts I'm like oh god I do love Spotify I really should get Spotify as a sponsor yeah they should Um, (laughs) talk about them every time I know I felt like that too I felt like I was an evangelist for Spotify for a while and everyone was like what's so good about it I was like it's it's just everything you always wanted I don't know I found like this this album I'm listening to a lot lately um, I'll tell you about it. I was like, I'm ready to do this because I don't remember what it's called. Oh, yeah, you're going to pull it up? Oh, well, I'm going to pull it up because I want to talk about it because I'm really into it. Okay. Because I wouldn't have found it via, uh, like, it's called the Yamasuki Singers. And it's like. Uh, oh, I know that person you just yeah. had up there. Oh, Kim Jung. Yeah, she's a Korean folk singer. Yeah, I'm really into that. She's really good. Yeah. I'm What's trying... her name? Kim Jong. Kim Jung Mi. Yeah, that's a good record. It's See, a good record. See, that's why Spotify's crazy. Yeah, they that's... have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, like, then they have the algorithm that, uh, 
that uh, tells you what's next. You can like search for it. Actually, really amusing. I went on a date like about two weeks ago with someone who is a coder for Spotify and works in the algorithm. And I was like, what? I love your work. <laughs> <laughs> you get me. Um, yeah, you do. You get me sometimes. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So you're now you're getting a lot of Korean folk in your, in your um, algorithm? No, but I like, well, I was like, so Daniel Vanguard was like this, uh, like French avant-garde, um, like a musician from the 70s and he hired like a children's choir in the 70s to perform these like weird songs I'll send you a link to it it's okay. really good um, I've been I've been into that lately I've been trying to like I mean you, you listen to so much music that you start look, looking for like weirder and weirder tastes you know right. so that's what I like about Spotify is that you can like go down very weird rabbit holes do you like the vibe of the, the children singing as a texture in the music yeah well I'm really into like kids um, singing or like children I'm been like i like, I'm really into, like, uh, I've been thinking a lot about, like, children's theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know, have any words to say, like, to explain it. For my next show, I think I want to, like, talk. I'm, like, I've been looking at a lot of YouTube videos of, like, of, like, children's, uh, children's theater and musicals and, like, kids performing. Um, and I'm really interested in that. Just, like, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. I don't... I, I like, that's just, like, a very... That's a seed of an idea. Yeah. That um, I'm, like, applying for residencies right now, and I'm, like, trying to make sense of it. To nice. be, like, I want to come to your place and get paid to watch YouTube videos of, like, children <laughs> performing Legally Blonde, the musical. Um, but I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> that sounds so good. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think so. Well, I mean, like, that Wes Anderson, when he does those... You know, there's a lot of kids putting on productions in his movies, and it's always, like, gold. Yeah, he's, um, yeah. Is it problematic for you? No, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> Wes Anderson is not that. I don't, I'm not, he, I'm not, I like Wes Anderson, like, cross, see, Wes Anderson, all right. Uh, I don't want to be so boring or negative, but like, I'm like, Wes Anderson is the perfect example of like an artist I'm always trying to like, like his, he like never supersedes style. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's like completely. That's him. Um, but I, I wish, like, he has so much, he is like, and I'm when watching the previews for that movie the, about the Japanese dog world, I don't know, Isle of Dogs. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also called Japanese Dog World. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, he could make anything. Like, or for me, I like the idea of like a painting or a movie or an artist, for example, being able to capture any content. Like, never having style supersede the needs of the content. No, I'm not going to go into a Wes Anderson uh, wormhole. Anyway, do you have any... I'm sorry. I'm like, if you ask me a question, I could be talk to you for like six hours, so no, I'm just no, going to no, let you take over. Uh, but, well, I, <laughs> but what do you, you were going to say about the Isle of Dogs? Or... Uh, no, I just feel that I, like I'm really... Like, Wes Anderson, like, I feel like his kids are like adults. Like, he wants the kids to be adults. Right. And, like, the humor of it is that they're doing adult things. And I, like, like I, like, am actually interested in kids as kids, as, like, really malformed kind of, like, like... Clumsy. Subjects, oh, yeah, yeah, like subjects that are just coming into being and like trying to perform themselves. Whereas his kids are like perfect; they're always like, and like they always know about like sex and about like irony and about right. um, like how to make like withering comments. And I was like, when I was fourteen, like I did not know like what playing emotional games and like, or I didn't know what like uh, you know, I didn't know I wasn't like um, right out of like a. French New Wave movie, you know what I mean? Right. So it's like, I don't know, that to me, it's not my favorite thing, but for those who like it, I I am very happy. Yeah, no, I think he is what he is, um, you know, it's good I, for what it is. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just recently got in a fight with my father about Wes Anderson. I'm like, a <laughs> oh, fight, no, I'm fighting with a lot of people lately, <laughs> I'm like trying to work on that, I'm like trying to live more, one of my goals after the show is like be more zen. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, if I'm honest with you, I, you know, I saw Rushmore, and then the first few movies that I saw when it first came out, I was really into it. Oh, yeah, and I think perfect. that was because there was nothing really like that. And I, he's gotten to the point to where he's just making Wes Anderson films over and over again. So I've kind of pulled back. I don't even know if I've seen the last couple, but... Um, but yeah, just the idea of kids putting on performances is pretty amazing. Yeah, but, no, it's cool. But yeah, the, his kids are adults. I think they're not even really kids. They're just stand-ins for adults. But yeah. they're put in that position for like awkwardness sake or something. Like the narrative is like some sort of relationship to the awkwardness of adults who aren't fully... Even his yeah. his, his adults aren't fully formed adults. They're very immature in a way a yeah. lot of times. That's a good way of looking at it. Like they're meant, yeah, their awkwardness is like... N- it's not like a... That's a good read. I'm it's not like an about age big. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. just all the characters are just characters, but they assign age based yeah, to totally. play with awkwardness. Yeah, totally. That's a really good um, redemptive read of something that I would have dismissed otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Sure, sure. I like to like things. I'm working. I'm like, I want to like be empowered to like more things. Yeah. Because then you have so much more to like. <laughs> exactly. What are you? Are you pro French New Wave? Do you like any of that old cinema? Oh, uh, sure. I'm not super good about movies. I tend to be, like, very trash with my movie tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, I like those movies okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I like, you know, they're, like, all the guys in them are very hot, which mm-hmm. I like, and they have good clothes. Uh-huh. And, like, you know, and, like, uh, I don't mean to be, like, too obvious about it, but, like, those movies are a bit, like, heteronormative for me. Mm-hmm. Like, not heteronormative. They're, like, I'm more interested in, like, like... I'm not sure I really relate to like, um, like chasing a manic pixie dream girl like across France who sells the news, you know. Mm-hmm. So like in that way, I, I've never really felt like I think the power that a lot of people have with those movies. But that's not a detraction. It's more like, it just um, there are other movies from that time or from like that. Fe- I'm like more interested in like melodrama than I am like French New Wave films, which I think are like pretty cold. I, I like Eric Romer films. I don't pronounce his last name. Romer, Romer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rome, whatever. Um, I like those movies because they're so like decadent. Yeah. Um, Do you was, like Jacques Tati? I've never seen anything by him. Oh, you should I'm see, yeah. see Playtime. No, I definitely should. It's devoid of the the man chasing the woman. Oh well, that's I'm fine with that. Like I don't <laughs> mind man chasing woman. I'm just saying like the romance, like the structure of like that romance to me is not totally relatable. Right. And I think like a lot of people love like the style, like like love the style of like that chase and I'm like oh I don't understand this yeah. I'm not good at chasing anyone and I'm also like um, I don't know it's just whatever it's right. a narcissistic reaction no no I know um, <laughs> but I do like like I like um, you know I like like Alfred Hitchcock movies which are sort of that's uh, so funny because I was just thinking of Rear Window because yeah. it's one of my all time favorite movies and it's devoid like I don't care about the relationships of the people in that it's visually it's stunning you yeah. know just that kind of that it all happens in that one view from that one apartment is pretty amazing. Also, I like him because he loves, he's like so heavy handed with having people represent, like, he's so heavy handed, which I think is hilarious. Like, his movies are always like, everyone is so like allegorical. It's like, they're like all like morality plays. Kind right. Of. Like, yeah. And that's what's funny is like everyone, um, they're so like not naturalistic. Uh, they're, no, they're cool. I love, um, I love those movies. I like yeah, them a lot. They're not naturalistic too in the way that they're shot, which is really interesting too. Like yeah. if you take a movie like Rope, it's like basically like two cuts, I think. It's yeah, just like really. one camera moving back and forth in the apartment the whole time. Yeah. And it's so staged in a way, but it's really interesting, I think. Yeah, and I like that his um romances are always really fraught. Yeah. Like they're not like I'm a romance. 
Like, and it's dark. It's yeah, all there's dark. always like a lot of dark sexual energy in his movies um, that I like find interesting. Yeah, definitely. So if you could, with your paintings, can you imagine like a certain kind of music that you would associate with the way that your paintings look? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I like feel, so like sometimes when I'm painting and I'm listening to like a good, like, um, up-tempo, like kind of a pop song, Mm -hmm. like I feel like, what's the really, I sort of like, this is like going to date me so much, but like, I feel like there's some animal collective songs that like, that like I really relate to, uh, where I was like, oh, I want my paintings to feel like this. I want them to be like very intense and like kind of about nothing and very layered and, um, working together to create like something very rich textural Mm -hmm. um, that has like an emotional feeling. Um, And uh, it's like cheesy. They're also cheesy. Animal Collective is a little cheesy. Like when they're not doing their more noise stuff, which I don't really know very much about, but Mm -hmm. like um, they're cheesy and like they sing about nothing. So I like that about them. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it would be that. Although I should aspire to something a little bit cooler. I don't know. That's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Do Do you like Tame Impala? Yeah, I like it's that a album a lot. It's a poppy, right? Yeah, uh, there's a Rihanna... Uh, yeah, she did that. ...a cover of that song that's so good. Yeah. I thought that was cool if I was like, oh, Rihanna, that was such a good idea. I know, I wonder how many Rihanna fans have any idea. I'm sure lots of Rihanna fans. Really? That that's Tame Impala? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. guess Tame Impala's pretty big. It's probably... I mean, also, like, I, I mean, if we're going to talk about kids knowing stuff, like, the one thing kids know about is, like, or, like, music and, like... That's true. And, you know, and Rihanna. People are going to, like, I don't know. They know about everything. I've met all the the like the like '90s plus kids, mm-hmm. whatever post '89 or whatever kids that I've yeah. met. Like they just know everything about where everything comes from, because they never had any sort of like um, block between them and information. Yeah, yeah, but it's not linear, right? It's just like sporadic. It's like yeah. collaged. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I think like yeah, they have to deal less with like discographies or histories. They just get to pick and choose like. Um, which is cool. It yeah. was really funny. I was teaching a class. This is neither here nor there, but I was teaching a class uh, at uh, at our uh, NYU painting, and mm-hmm. I remember this um, student was wearing a shirt that said the '90s, and I was like, "Oh, you and I have the same relationship because we're both nostalgic for it." But you're nostalgic for it in the way that I'm nostalgic for the '70s, like the thing that happened before me, and I'm nostalgic for the '90s in the way that you're nostal- that you're gonna wear a beat. And that you're like when you're teaching and you see someone with a shirt that says like 2018 or like 2010, like they're like they're nostalgic for I don't even know what's like what's aughts music I don't even know like who's famous I don't, uh, whatever um, I can't I don't know enough about music history to know who was like big in 2008. 2008, like what was Animal it? Collective. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like what was big on MTV in 2008? I don't know. I, I guess Rihanna, Beyonce, you know, Beyonce yeah, the emergence true. of Beyonce. I don't know. Um, who knows. Wait, was MTV still playing music in the late 2000s? No, I'm, I'm using that as a larger category. <laughs> right, no, 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 you're right. Um, remember, I remember the days when MTV played nothing but music. I know, I know. Um, I remember that too. It was cool. When the music videos were good. Yeah. Um, there, there are no good music videos anymore, which is sad. Sometimes I think I would be, I would really like to make music videos. I think they're kind of also like a good uh, an- an- analog for painting. Like yeah. I like short form, like short form things that have like one idea to convey and like, and are really meant not to function. Like a poem, a music video, and a pop song, and a painting, I think are all like, um, they all like, I think, 
work in similar ways. I agree. Like they're all like little um, bites. It's nice when they they collaborate. You know, like yeah. a good artist and a good uh, music video making yeah. a good mu- music video. Have you seen any videos though? Although most of them, uh, you don't. Like, is there anything that you've seen recently that you really liked? I'm trying to think if I've seen a music video. I mean, I don't. You know, there's. I feel like, like the irony no one, or humor quotient in them is pretty high. Yeah, I mean, point. no one really makes music videos anymore. Yeah, like they do, but they're all like such a waste of time. Um, I like that video. I think it's like Kanye West. I don't know. There's a video where like it's with Tina Shea, I think, where she like turns into a cat. That's like pretty sexy. I haven't seen um, it. But I don't even know if I'm quoting the right person. I remember someone played it for me, and I thought that was good. It was like body work. I don't know. Maybe I'm not talking about the right thing. I don't know. I don't have a good answer to your question. Yeah. Uh-huh, I'm sorry. I feel <laughs> like uh, like OK Go was the last band to like really take music videos seriously. Yeah, I wish they took their music a little more seriously. Yeah, though. no, it's about the... It's crazy <laughs> how it's just about the, the music videos. Yeah, yeah. But um, they do go all out. Yeah, they do go all out. That's so, yeah. I, my, yeah, they do go all out. I like the one that they do with the dogs. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of work. Think of all the dogs you have to train. I know, right? And they did that homage to Officially in Vice. Oh, yeah, they did. The way things go. Oh, yeah, totally. Which um, is impressive. Yeah, that's cool. It's cool. Um, I just was like, just make the video. Like, you don't have to make the song. Just show us the video and, like, put a Bjork song over it. And, right. I'll, and I'll be just as happy. Yeah, their live yeah. show just better just be their video. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm cool. <laughs> like, I'm just cool with the visual. You don't have to, like, make it about a feeling. You can just, yeah, play. Right. Um, right. Anyway. Um, no, I haven't really been listening. I haven't really watched music videos in a while. Um, I'm trying to think. Mostly I just watch music videos to laugh at them because, like, or because they're ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Um, and they just happen on your feed or something. It's not like you're going somewhere to look up music videos anymore. No, no, certainly not. It's just like, oh, have you seen this? This one's kind of funny. Yeah. But, you know, I've talked about it on here before where we used to wait for 120 minutes late at night on MTV to see, like, the quote-unquote alternative videos. Oh, yeah. You get so excited when they would, you know, like, Beck's Loser came on, and we were just like, what What's the video for that? is this? It was, like, him wearing a mask, like, dancing around. You know, it was just the same. Yeah. Like, it wasn't... It was just weird, but at that point, it was like, wow, this is different. It's you so know? funny that things were even alternative at that point. Like, that's such, like, a... Like, a, like nothing is alternative at this point, because there's so many people, and, like, taste amasses so quickly and vitalizes yeah. so quickly that, like, you know... I mean, like, yeah, the Tame Impala, like, got covered by Rihanna within a year of, like releasing that album, you know? Yeah. Um, which I guess Tim Paul's not like that alternative or alternative at all. But I don't know. Yeah, but you have like um you have a who Thundercat is on the uh the new uh you know, he plays with Flying Lotus and like he's on the uh the new Kendrick Lamar record. It's like, you know, the alt scene is yeah. kind of like intertwined with like pop music. Yeah, yeah. Hip hop. Like it's all kind of, you know, well, that's together. how you show you're uh, like a cool pop musician is by like drawing from the avant-garde. Yeah. Um, which makes complete sense. I mean, that's yeah. always how it's been with fashion and, and art. Like, yeah. You know, so like why shouldn't it be any other way? Right. Um, but no, there's lots of good pop music. Um, <laughs> I'm all into it. I'm into it all. I'll listen to it all. I love Charlie XCX. <laughs> I'm really, I'm like an evangelist for her too. Um, I gotta, I gotta download the whole record. Maybe. There's just, a, I'm not sure you do. I, I think you start with Carly Rae and then if you are into it, um, uh, then you can move to Charlie X. Listen, <laughs> since you mentioned her name, the Call Me Maybe song has been in my head the entire time we've been talking. That's the worst Carly Rae Jepsen song. I know, but it's like it's like a bacteria. I mean, it just gets in your head and you cannot get rid of it. So I was living in Canada. Sorry, I was living in Canada in 2012. 
uh, I was dating my now ex-boyfriend, very mm -hmm. close friend who lives in New York now. Uh, and Calling Maybe was coming out there. And then we moved to New York together in 2000, at the end of 2012. And then Calling Maybe like followed us like a curse. <laughs> and I just feel like I had like nine months of Call Me Maybe, which is like not the worst song, but it's a pretty bad song. But they're way better. Uh, there are lots of good Carly Rae Jepsen songs. Listen, um, they, they, <laughs> they are so good at, at finding that one song that's like the most addictive hook that will just stay in your head forever yeah. and release that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's cool. I mean, it's not maybe the best paradigm to think about for painting because you want your paintings to like have a little bit more, a little bit more timelessness than a pop song. Right. But I do like the idea of like, I mean, I want people, I want paintings that are relatable. You know, I'm not really, not just to return to painting. Sorry to like uh, no, no, yeah, let's lead you down a weird path. Let's bring it back. Um, this is, <laughs> I mean, I would, I could do this forever. Um, but like, you know, I'm not super into like Stadelschule aesthetics because uh -huh. I do like, I think there's a certain amount of virtue to like meeting the viewer halfway or some part of the way, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people do that with beauty. People do that with recognizable subjects. But I'm not, like, I don't think painting, I don't, like, the thing I like about pop music is that it doesn't necessarily need to have, like, you can kind of, like, be subversive without having, like, a really overtly antagonistic relationship with the viewer. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something I'm skeptical of as well, is, like, like art that as an antagonist like really tries to antagonize the viewer because I feel like that also too is like so like um, it's like such a recognizable trope at this point that to me I'm not like oh I'm being antagonized I'm like oh I'm supposed to be being antagonized right now like this is supposed to be antagonizing me you know what I mean yeah. and I'm, I'm seeing something antagonistic but it's not antagonizing me because like I'm too used to like this kind of energy that's right. producing um, but then like there's some things I saw um, I saw the uh, no, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, there was a show at the New Museum, the, at the Trigger show. They had a video of. Um, no, it doesn't matter. Sorry. There's some things that are there are some things that are antagonistic, and they're long. Right. Maybe they're just really long, and you have to sit through them. Tedious an audience. Yeah, so yeah. you're like antagonized by the by the by the weight of not being able to like get up and check your phone I suppose Escape, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. By the, yeah you're antagonized by your own attention deficit disorder <laughs> which certainly is my experience with almost everything um yeah yeah attention attention span is shortened for sure yeah at least for me that's what's nice about painting though is what I like about painting is also that you can like I'm very ADD super super ADD and for me like I don't. I work on a lot of work at the same time because I get very bored of a painting, and then I'll move to the next painting. So I'll work on like a bunch of paintings at the same time, and I like that a painting can kind of like compress all of like these like sp spurts of interest that mm -hmm. I have into one prolonged experience. So it's kind of like a it's like a cure for ADD because like you can work on a painting a lot, and then like it can deliver to the viewer uh, like a it's almost like a. It's almost like when you want to like compress files to send and upload them and send them to a friend and then like it like on decompress like a painting like compresses it and then the viewer it like for the, when you see it like it uncompresses it for the viewer mm -hmm. you know yeah. so that's what's fun is like when you see a painting with a lot of like layers and you just met and like I don't know and that's been really gratifying for the show is also when people told me that they like went back I mean, that's the nicest thing anyone could ever say. It's like, they went back. I was like, oh my God, you went back. I haven't gone, I didn't even, you know, I wouldn't have gone back if I had to. Um, but like, uh, someone went back and they like saw something, a different, a next, uh, like they delved another layer. You know, that's like a very, that makes me really happy. And that's yeah. what I want the work to, I want the work to give a lot. The highest compliment 
I ever got in graduate school was someone, uh, Byron Kim, who's so smart, was like, your paintings are very generous. And I was like, oh, that's the nicest thing. That's like really what I want to hear. Especially when it comes from someone who is so generous. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> who I can definitely recognize generosity. I was like that, I mean, that's the, it's not, you know, like, it's almost like, yeah, good or bad is like a very relative thing, but to be called generous is like a virtue signaling thing. So I was like, oh, that's a nice thing. I want to be that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that show, I mean, whether you like it or not, that show was, um, it was really great. And it just, it was, it was layered. It was definitely a go back to show. And I actually went back in the same day to oh see it Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm very flattered. <laughs> I, went got, I went and got lunch, went down the block. I was like, you know, I'm going to check it out again. Yeah. But it was a really great show. So, I'm, and what do, do you have, I mean, you have time, you have some decompression time. Do you have anything coming up or is it I, basically take it easy for a little bit? No, I've been, I mean, I've been taking it easy. I mean, as you can see, I just finished paint, repainting the walls mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, you can see I just like, I'm stretching some canvases or repriming them. I'm going to start painting. I'm doing... Uh, I have a, like a lot of things that are potentially happening. Like, you know, there was some interest in other venues, which I have to figure out based on how much I can give this year. Cause like last year I worked too hard. Like I like gave too much and I'm feeling really, really drained, like yeah. emotionally. And I was like this year I can, I want to work like only like 70 hours a week this year. You know what I mean? Well, it's going to be hard because when you hang a show that good, people are going to be wanting you to do But that's stuff. what I want to... I want to, like, do, like, group... I want to do, like... I just want to, like, chill this year and do, like, smaller one-off pieces. And then uh-huh. I want to do a show in 2020 where I, like, put the same level of insane energy into it. And I actually have an idea for it. I want to do... So it's, it relates to the musical. I've been thinking a lot about, like, making, like... I've been thinking a lot about, like, musicals and, like... There's this musical called Working. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like a studs, Turkle, Turkel. I don't know how to pronounce anything. Um, Neither do I. All right, cool. We're, <laughs> so it's like, it's just like a book. It's like, it was like a book, like a sociological kind of like cross-section of, of jobs. And there's a weird musical called Working that's like a musical adaptation of a book about people working. And it's just like, it's like, a, it's like an encyclopedic musical of different jobs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like really interested. I'm really interested in like, I'm really interested in like categories. And, and I want to like make a musical, like an, kind of like a, paintings that are like from a musical that like are about like a globe. The, I'm like want to make a, I want to like make the painted, I want to like, I'm really into like It's a Small World After All That Ride. Yeah. I've been looking at that a lot and like it's so um, super outdated and it's like very racist and uh, you know uh, orientalizing or exoticizing or whatever you know like all the all the pejorative you know, Western-centric things you could do to any other culture. It's very otherizing. And I'm like, I'm like, I want to, like, see what would, like, the updated version of that be, like, if you painted, like, screenshots from that ride. Mm -hmm. Like, using, thinking about, like, the painting as a tableau. So I think they may be landscape paintings. Like, landscape tableaus, kind of like Carrie James Marshall paintings are often, like, very stage-setty. Yeah. I'm just looking at Carrie James Marshall, and I was like, oh, he's the best painter in the universe. Like, what... Can, what's relevant to me that I could um, create that would have the same gravitas as you know his content, which is great. Sounds good. Um, yeah, I hope. Well, we'll see. You um, got a lot of work ahead of you. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm like, you know, I'm pumped. I'm. I. That's the I'm happiest about is that like I left the show feeling excited about making paintings and positive about my relationships with other artists. And yeah, and DC Morris, man, doing great shows. Yeah, I feel like you, it's a good. They've they really kicked it up. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool. It's an interesting context. Yeah. Um, you know, I like. 
that there are a lot of pattern-based artists there that are a little bit older than me. Mm-hmm. And I like that there's kind of like, it's not, I like that it's, uh, um, I'm like, I like that I'm like the youngest. So I feel like <laughs> a baby. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the youngest there. Uh, no, no, I like that about the gallery. I like that it's like, um, not so, it's not so like generational. Right. You know? And yeah, I like, they show a lot of different stuff. They show a lot of different stuff. And uh, it's all like, it's all like a little bit off key, not off key. Um, that's not what it is. Uh, it's all off, a little off, uh, like off kilter. It's like a I little. Everything mean. is a little like everything there is like a little bit like. Uh, it's like one half, like degree between underneath the surface. It's like, it's like a B. It's like a B side a little bit of you know. Yeah, definitely. And I like that. It's like all stuff that's really good that like hasn't had as much energy lavished on it or attention that maybe it should have, which I like. Like mm-hmm. I, you know. It's like cool to like feel associated with like people who are working slightly under, out of the spotlight, and I mean that totally in a positive way and not right. like a apologistic way. No, no, I know what you mean. Um, so people can see your work. Do you see more? Yeah, and they well, can see your work in in Instagram. You post Instagram on my website. Uh, I may have a show coming up. I should be able to figure that out in the next week. Um, uh, and you'll post about that. I'm I'll sure. post about that. Yeah. I'll make sure everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, uh, the show was great. And, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for letting me come over. And yeah, no, it. I had a really nice time. I'm sorry if I didn't, um, if I like, uh, didn't answer. No, no. If I like got sidetracked. I'm no very apologies. Like that. Was, I, someone came great. and interviewed me and was like, "You don't. You get very distracted very easily." And this I was like, the whole thing. Is, <laughs> this whole thing is about distracting. Right, cool. <laughs> it was great. Cool. Well, um, yeah. I hope I answered all every question that you had definitely all right cool it was well all right thank you thanks Sound and Vision was conceived produced recorded edited mastered and facilitated by myself Brian Alfred you can find images that I take from the podcast sessions by going to the images page on the website soundandvisionpodcast.com You can find even more images on the podcast Instagram feed at Sound and Vision Podcast. If you love hearing these artists speak about their life and work, please support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. It's also available on Stitcher and Google Play. You can even donate to help support the podcast by clicking the donate button on the webpage. The introduction and accompanying music was generously provided by Michael Lovett. Michael records as Nazca Lines and also Moonlights in the band Metronomy. Bio and outro music were provided by Sean Seymour. Sean and his wife Yoshimi are a band called Lullatone based in Nagoya, Japan. Thanks to them and also Jacob Tutu and Logan Takahashi who have also lent music to the podcast. Thanks to all the listeners who share and support the podcast. All this is done by myself without funding and ads and it really is you all who help spread the word and you spread it well. Many thanks to all of you and all the artists for sharing their stories and time with me. Thank you.